Face Value by Lisa Collier Cool. Kelly had been bullied and teased for the way she looked. Then she found friends who would take her at face value. It's Friday night and Kelly Sperry is nervous as she gets ready for St Valentine's Day dance at the recreation centre. Over and over, the 13-year-old checks her appearance in the mirror. Is this shirt dorky, she asks. After her older brothers assure her it's cool, she twirls around and inspects her hair from every angle. The back looks funny, she insists, grabbing her curling tongs to fix a few ringlets. A minute later, she's unhappy with her makeup. She smooths on more foundation and an extra coat of sparkly blue eyeshadow, then shakes her head. Maybe I should just start over. Kelly has more reason than most girls her age to worry about her looks. She has a rare disorder that's making half of her face waste away. Little by little, her right eye is sinking in its socket. When Kelly was born, her parents, Jay and Donna Sperry, felt like the luckiest couple in the world. As soon as the doctor said, it's a girl, we were so excited, says Donna, a 46-year-old primary school teacher. With our two older sons, Dylan and Jesse, we felt we now had a perfect family. They took her home to their cedar-shingled ranch on a hilly road not too far from the house where Jay, a fireman, grew up in Westminster, Colorado. They saved up enough to add a deck and a small pool, and their home soon became the neighbourhood hangout, with kids laughing and splashing around, and their parents clustering about the barbecue on weekends as Jay grilled platters of his favourite fire station recipes. When Kelly was two, her parents noticed little white spots on her neck and a few grey hairs. At age five, her right nostril was slightly smaller than the left. One doctor diagnosed vitiligo, a disorder that causes uneven skin pigmentation, but the cream he prescribed didn't help. And when the Sperrys consulted an ear, nose and throat specialist, the doctor did not see anything to worry about. His attitude was, so what, everybody has little imperfections. He said if her nostrils still bothered us when she was a teenager, we could take her to a plastic surgeon for a nose job, Donna says. We felt we were being scolded for being too focused on our daughter's looks. Still, they hoped the doctor was right. There was little change until Kelly turned nine in year four, when her eye began to sink, her nose to twist and her lip to pull up. Her face began to change dramatically. She pretended the stares and taunts didn't bother her, but the shouts of, hey, crooked nose, were hard to ignore. And she especially hated it when kids at school contorted their lips into a cruel parody of hers. They called it the Kelly face, she says, and everybody thought it was so funny. When I sat down at a table for lunch, people moved away like I was contagious. I started spending recess helping the janitor so I didn't have to see the kids. She began to shut everyone out, even her parents. She would come home in tears, but when they asked what was wrong, she'd get angry and say she didn't want to talk about it. Then, after days of stony silence, Kelly would get so upset everything would come spilling out how she hated to leave the house, didn't want to go to school anymore and wished everyone would just leave her alone. A lot of people were picking on me and there was nothing I could do about it, says Kelly. I felt very bad about myself and never wanted to look in a mirror. When Donna tried to talk to the bully's parents, things only got worse. They often didn't believe her and arguments followed. It was the not-my-child syndrome, she says. One person said that if her kid had made a face at Kelly, then she must have done something to provoke it. 
Another woman, who used to be a friend, screamed at me because we wouldn't let her daughter come over anymore. But when I said that her daughter was tormenting Kelly, she wouldn't listen. Eventually, Donna and Jay stopped talking to several of their neighbours. Their pool sat empty, the yard silent. The Sperrys focused on trying to get their daughter diagnosed. But it wasn't until August 2000 that one of the dozen doctors finally identified the problem. Parry romberg syndrome, PRS, a condition that attacks skin, bones and muscles. And the damage can go even deeper than that, the Sperrys soon discovered. Kelly was nine when the first stroke hit, while she and her mum were in church. Just for a moment, she went blind. Then she could see the altar again. Other small strokes followed, stealing much of her vision on the right side. I was freaking out, says Donna. Doctors were telling us that we had to sit there and watch our kid's face disappear, and there was nothing we could do about it. She spent sleepless nights at her computer, trying to find out more. As faces of PRS patients with missing jaws or gaping holes in their cheeks filled her screen, she would phone her sister at 3am. We'd cry together because I was so scared and confused. I couldn't get those horrifying photos out of my mind. The disease is very unpredictable. No one knows what triggers PRS's strange symptoms, and there is no cure. The only good news is that it's not fatal, and after several years of destruction, it may stop as mysteriously as it starts. If that happens for Kelly, plastic surgery is an option to repair some of the damage. Although the family tried to resume everyday life after Kelly's diagnosis, it was difficult. The crisis also took a toll on their sons. Dylan, now 19, gave up in school, while 15-year-old Jessie's grades plunged from A's to C's. And with the fiery temper redheads are famous for, the younger boy started getting into arguments at school, sticking up for his sister. But he also resented his protective role. Why is everything always about Kelly, he asked his parents angrily, leaving another question unspoken. Didn't they love him too? To shore up Kelly's self-esteem, her parents took her to a therapist, but that didn't help. She remained unhappy and withdrawn. And while Donna's colleagues and Jay's friends from the fire station were supportive, most people weren't, says Donna. We had a close circle of friends, and one by one, many of them disappeared. Some of them weren't comfortable, so they stayed away. Others were offended because I didn't go to their party, wasn't the happy-go-lucky person who used to say, come over for a swim, or expected them to be accountable for their kids' behaviour. It was a very hurtful and lonely time for our family. Kelly found some good support online. Still, the teasing kept escalating, especially at the end of the school day. One time, Kelly was leaving the school grounds when a boy blocked her way. Hey, funny face, he jeered, looking around to see if the kids waiting for the bus were appreciating his wit. You don't need surgery because I'll rearrange your face for you with this. He made a fist, then gave Kelly a shove that sent her to the ground. Other kids laughed as she scrambled to pick up the books and papers that spilled from her backpack, frantic to escape before anyone saw her cry. Another after-school confrontation a few weeks later was just as scary. A girl dressed in hip-hop clothing thought Kelly, whose facial expression can appear unfriendly, was sneering at her. What are you looking at? the girl demanded. Nothing, Kelly said, lowering her eyes to avoid further offence. The girl from year six wasn't satisfied. 
Reaching in her oversized jeans, she pulled out a penknife and waved it menacingly. Want to fight me, she taunted. As Kelly backed away in fear, ready to run home as fast as she could, the girl grabbed her shirt and snarled one final threat. Don't tell anybody or you'll be sorry. But Kelly refused to be intimidated into silence. She told her father and he stormed over to the principal's office, demanding an end to all such harassment. Kelly's teachers tried to protect her, but kids still found ways to get to her. In April 2003, Jay took Kelly out of school. She was being tormented and it was tearing me up to see her treated like that, Jay says. We started thinking that it was time for a fresh start somewhere else. I'd lived in Westminster my whole life, but we didn't belong there anymore. The Sperrys put their house on the market and spent their weekends exploring Colorado, looking for a place that felt like home. As soon as they saw Windsor, a quiet community with a view of the Rocky Mountains, they knew they'd found it. They fell in love with the wide open spaces dotted with small subdivisions and farms where cows and horses grazed. To Jay, it looked like a homely small town, complete with an old-fashioned milk bar. Donna liked it when strangers smiled at her on Main Street and a rosy-cheeked little boy said, Good morning, ma'am. Dylan and Jesse hated to leave old friends behind, but Kelly felt a stirring of hope. Maybe these people would be different, she thought, as she helped her parents comb the real estate listings to find just the right home, a freshly painted colonial house on a corner plot, next to a large pond where they could spend summer afternoons fishing. Soon after they moved in, a little black Scotty dog bounded over, followed by his owners Marilyn and Wally Morrison. That created an instant bond, and the family had found their first friends right next door. Kelly's looks were never an issue to the Morrisons, who are the parents of two sons. Donna explained the disorder, and I said, I'm sorry that happened. My reaction was compassion and sympathy, says Marilyn, who works at a grocery store. I also thought Kelly was lucky to have Jay and Donna for parents. They help her feel like an everyday girl, instead of feeling sorry for herself. Dr Eagle Zablekas, another neighbour, became Kelly's family doctor. It was a challenge because Parry-Romberg syndrome is so rare that we don't learn about it in medical school, said Zablekas, who educated herself about the condition. Her matter-of-fact attitude was a relief to Jay and Donna. Some doctors they'd met treated their daughter as a medical curiosity, even bringing medical students into the examination room to stare at her face. Kelly wasn't sure whether to be excited or scared about the start of school in September 2003. But Windsor Middle School has zero tolerance for teasing or bullying and emphasises respect for its students and the rules. We told the teachers to watch out for anything that might make her uncomfortable, says Assistant Principal Joe Aldbrand. On the first day of Year 7, a group of girls invited Kelly to sit with them at lunch. But she said no, remembering children at her old school who pretended to be friendly, then made fun of her behind her back. It was better to eat alone, she thought, than risk getting hurt again. Day after day, she wistfully sat down to her solitary meal. It took six weeks to muster the courage to come out of her shell. I began to trust the kids here because they treated me better. The next time the girls asked her to sit with them, she pulled up a chair and joined in with the chatter about TV shows, hairstyles and which boys were hotties. 
Before long, her phone was ringing with calls from a 14-year-old cheerleader named Brianne Graff, who has a special nickname for Kelly. Some people ask me what's up with Kel Bell's face or why I like her. I tell them that they shouldn't judge her by her appearance because she has the coolest personality and is a lot of fun to be around. No matter what, I stand up for her because what hurts her hurts me. As a way to make other friends, Kelly volunteered to run the girls' basketball team. Kids started to drop by after school, at first just a few, then so many that her dad was busy at the barbecue again, doing what he loves best, making a hungry crowd happy. One day I realised I was actually popular, she says, sounding a little amazed. Sometimes, however, reminders of her old life intrude. While she was on a class trip last year, she saw a bus full of kids from another school staring at her. Some of the children were making the Kelly face, though they got a stern scolding from a Windsor teacher. Recently, a bully from Westminster sent her an email teasing her about her nice house. If your parents are so rich, he wrote, why don't they get your ugly face fixed? In the past, these insults would have made her cry for hours, but now she shrugs them off. I'm comfortable with myself, and if somebody else isn't, that's their problem, says Kelly. She dreams of becoming a lawyer one day. I want to help people who are victims of crimes or aren't being treated right. I think I'd be really good at that. Although her disease has not abated and her symptoms continue to evolve, doctors say Kelly's is not a severe case. It's true that she will probably always look different from her friends, even if eventual reconstructive surgery improves her appearance. But as Kelly has learnt more profoundly than most children her age... It's what's inside that counts. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.